know what I hate? I mean, that's a strong word. Hate, I shouldn't. Yeah. Naomi started using that word this week, and she said, Mama said, nope, don't use that word. Don't, don't you say that word, hate. I remember being in kindergarten and having a little toy and a friend of mine named Lynn. Lynn uh, he played with it. He messed it up. I brought it home. My brother was like, what happened to this? And I said, oh, Lynn did that. I hate him. My dad was in the other room. Don't you say that word. I can still remember, and I was only five years old. I remember. I can still hear it. And so, you know what I, you know what I try hard not to hate? <laughs> Is when somebody mistreats my kids. Right, parents? You know, uh, we go to gymnastics, and I'm a, I'm a, I grew up with a lot of sports, and I know you got to talk strong to kids. you got to get their attention, discipline, and all this. You know, we're, we're, they're in gymnastics, and here my, you know, my wife and I are sitting there listening to the way they talk to Naomi, and I know she is hard to talk to. But then it's okay for, you know, on my side, whenever I'm doing it or my, my, her mom's doing it, sometimes I'm even like, why are you talking to her so strong? But then somebody else do, does it, and it's like, mm. I know, I know Latina wants to come out, like just get wild buck in there, and it's, it's about to get nuts. And, but, but, you know, no matter how, how bad you mistreat my children, uh, there's, there's really nothing you can do to negate that towards me. So you can't, you can't give me gifts. You can't buy me gifts, you know. You, you, can't, you can't give me money. You can't sing me songs. And you can't praise my holy name. So there's nothing you can do to me or for me that will negate how you've treated my kids. That's just a side note. So we're going to get in, this, we're going to get in the message though today and we're talking about, and these notes are on version app and you can find them. We're talking about brand new. We're in our brand new series and what I just said is about to make some sense in a little bit, uh, but I need to get that off my chest. We're in our brand new series, and what we're talking about today is what love requires. What love, there's been this question that's been ruminating in our hearts for a few weeks, and if you haven't listened to this series, if you haven't been here, you really need to go back and listen on Facebook or iTunes podcast, Google Play, SoundCloud. It's out there. This is a challenging message series, and I'm telling you, it's challenging me. I know it's challenging all of you. Has it, has it blessed you? Is it, is it challenging you? Is it making you think, whoa, what, is, what am I thinking? What, what, what am I, you know, what do I see about church? What, is, what did Jesus really come to bring? It, it starts to rattle all that stuff around, and, and I encourage you to listen to them over and over, and I don't mean with a, a heart, well, I'm just going to agree with everything. I want you to challenge it in your own heart so that the Word and the truth can challenge you, not just what Pastor Nathan is saying. I want you to take this, and I want you to look through the New Testament. I want you to look at the red letters. I want you to look at everything Jesus taught, and I want you to search all of that in light of this message and see message series and see, well, what is it that I really do believe? I want you to be a Berean. Bereans searched the word. They would hear Paul, they would listen to Paul, and they would be like, mm, not sure, let me go search the word, the scriptures, and then they would come back and say, yep, he's right. That is exactly what it says. But that's the way they knew what the truth was. And the arrival of Jesus, you need to know, signaled an end to the temple model and the beginning of something brand new. And that's, that, that's hard for us to understand on this side, of, uh, this side of Scripture, because all of us in the Western 
hemisphere have been challenged, have our consciences have been shaped by, in some form by a version of Christianity. And the, what, what Jesus came to taught, teach, which what we have is a type of what Jesus came to teach and a type of the temple model which existed since the, uh, the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jewish, the Jewish religious culture as well. But even before Christ, the temple model existed before Christ was on earth. But what Jesus came to teach and what remained and what we have now is a blend, it's a mixture of temple model and what Jesus actually meant. And so many things we feel guilty about are not even what Jesus intended. And the temple model was this, if you don't remember, it's sacred places, sacred texts. There were always sacred men, it's always men who would be delivering the, the true interpretation of the sacred text while standing in the sacred place. And they would have sincere followers. But what you'll find, and probably what you have found, is it's really superstitious followers. Many Christians are superstitious followers even still. It falls more on, well, the Bible says this, and so we're more superstitious about what the Bible says than we are in relationship to Jesus according to what the Bible says. So we, we start to find little things, little nuances within scriptures, and it, ca it causes us to be more superstitious than it is relational with God. But Jesus did something brand new. He did something brand new. He brought in a new covenant. The old covenant was gone. The old, he brought in a new. The, old, the new covenant would come in with a, a new command. And if this one command, this command that superseded all of the others, and if it was lived out right, the byproduct would be that it took care of all of the other commands, and you wouldn't even have to focus on fulfilling the other commands because you did it just through this one command. And that one command would now change a new ethic and create a new ethic into society, into your life, and it would trickle down into every decision, every relational situ situation every aspect of your life which would bring about and it would almost command a new movement. And this is what Jesus did. And this is when he prayed, why he said that the, heaven, that the world be like earth, as it, on earth as it is in heaven, because of these, this movement, this ethic, this command would infiltrate and change the whole world starting in and through each and one, every one of you, and myself. This is what Jesus intended. But the problem is that because of blending the old with the new, we have ended up with a version of Christianity that actually holds us back. The version that we've settled with, we've been, we've been culturized with, is actually holding us back, and it's holding the church back from being and becoming an influence, the influence it's intended to be all around the world. And we're living it. For example, if you feel guiltier about missing mass or missing church than you do about mistreating someone at work, if you're thinking, well, I just really need to get back to church. I'm not so concerned about how I treated so-and-so or a certain people group. I just need to get myself back into church. If being at a sacred place, rather than mistreating or treating someone well, is important, 
then that's temple thinking. For example, if you believe there is a ritual that makes you right with God and removes your responsibility to make restitution to someone you have harmed, if you think there is anything you can do to make things right between you and God and not make things right between you and other people, your brother or sister, that's temple thinking. And how often do we do that? For example, if you believe that you can run to church, give your gift, serve your service, raise your hands to God, but you still have broken relationships back at home or in the workplace, and you think you can walk around haughty and happy and fulfilled because you've done those temple duties, that's temple thinking. Because this is not the Jesus model. Because in the heart of the Jesus model, the temple model is you-centered. Sorry, in, in the heart of the temple model, it is you-centered. It is what can I, what must I do or believe to make things and keep things right between God and me? What must I do? There's a fear, an essence of fear that rules me. What must I do to make sure I keep things right between God and me? God, God did you see what I did at church today? Did you, did you see that I gave? Did you see that I served? Did you, did you see that I raised my... Did you see? Did you, did you see me? Did you, did you see me, God? Your approach to Christianity is really about you. When you say, I need to get myself back to church... Well I, well, I just need to start doing this. I need to get my life together. I need to. I, 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 me, me. It's all about I and me. It's temple and not Jesus. Temple thinking gravitates towards rules and rituals every time. In temple thinking, your question is, what exactly must I do to make things and keep things right between God and me? Now, Jesus taught that once you make yourself right with God, God is good with you. No more of this trying to earn gifts. No more is there trying to manipulate favor. No more is this trying to, to get his attention. No more is it trying to convince him to answer your prayers. Because God is now good with you. Any of those things are temple thinking. And, and this will cause you to never move beyond what is holding you back and move you towards embracing what will actually lead you to maturity. Temple thinking leads to loophole thinking. Temple, temple thinking leads to exception to the rule thinking. Uh, rituals become escape clauses, which ultimately lead to hypocrisy. Th this is why so many hate the church. This is my, why many of you said you would never even go back to church, because you think, you're, you're sitting there, you think, oh, Christians talk a good talk. 
you know, they get dressed up and they, they, get go, they go to church on Sunday, but you watch them throughout the week or at some point you've watched them throughout the week and you saw how they treated others and yet these same Christians want you, they invite you and they're saying, hey, won't you come to my church? And you're thinking, well, I, your church is not even helping you. Why would I want to go to your church? In fact, I think I treat people better than you do. Yeah. <laughs> right? They're watching. Because as long as you think temple, as long as you think I'm going to sprinkle a little temple inside of my Christian cup, as long as you do this, you'll think that what you must do, that it's all about what I must do to keep God happy. And you're walking around with fear all over your back, and you're always trying to please, and you're always aiming to do something in order to make sure you're in His good graces, but God is already good with you. And it's a very subtle form of self-centered religion that Jesus never intended and He never taught. In fact, Jesus has actually invited you away from that thinking altogether. The Jesus model is centered on the you beside you. So if you're a Democrat, then the Jesus model is focused, is centered on the you to the right of you. If you're a Republican, the Jesus model is centered on the you to the left of you. And if you're a racist, then the Jesus model is focused on the race or the people group or the gender or the others that is the other race than you. Let it sit. It is centered on the you that you would actually call your enemy. If you take this one idea and you read the entire New Testament through this one concept, this one thought, the lens of this one paradigm, you, this New Testament will come alive to you and change the way you've ever seen Christianity altogether. Because in the New Testament, we are invited by Jesus to love others as God loves others. He says things like this, This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. The, the, one, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command to love your neighbor as yourself. Now pay attention because this is not temple thinking. This is not temple thinking 2.0, temple model 2.0. This is something entirely and completely different, completely new. And do you know why you should, you should tell the truth? Let's do some thou shalls. Well, you should tell the truth. Oh, oh, you're thinking, oh, I know, because the Bible says thou shalt not lie or something like that, right? Remember the superstitious thinker, the superstitious follower. It's always something, well, something like this, and we, and we, we put a clause around it, and it sounds like this, and, and it sounds, it's not what Scripture says, but we try to make something up that sounds similar so we can remember. Thou shalt not lie, right? So Scripture said, the reason I shouldn't lie is because Scripture said... The, the reason you should, we should not lie is, has very little to do with, or if any, of the fact that Scripture says thou shalt not, that you should not lie. You're like, wait a minute, what, Pastor? The reason you should not lie is because, and the reason God had to put it in there is so that we would get the fact that when we lie, we hurt others. It's as simple as that. 
God put rules, laws into place so that we would get the fact that all of these things are established so that you wouldn't hurt the person that you have been created to help. It's all guidelines to help you, to get you to the point to realize who you are and who you are is someone who should be loving Jesus and serving others. The reason, the reason, do you know why you should be generous? Oh, I know this one because if I give one dollar, then God gives me ten. No, if you were born in America or you have now become an American citizen, you, have, you were born with your ten. You have your ten already. You, you've got it. The reason that we are to be generous is because when you're generous, it helps others. The reason that Christians should be the most generous people in all the world because God has already ordained and favored us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, according to His Word, to bless others. So when we give, we bless others. In fact, the, the lives that we've changed, that have cha been changed in this house, that have been touched over three short years, not even three years, is all due to the generosity of from others to help and serve others. Now God set up a law based on a truth, a principle. You got to get it. This was not a law first. This was a principle that he's sown. He has sown into humanity since the beginning of time, but for some reason we struggle with giving. And so he over... A thousand, fifteen hundred years, he had to say, All right, you guys aren't getting it. You're lying to each other, you're cheating on each other, you're taking other wives. Let me make some laws. You're not giving, you're not, you're murdering, you're not. Goodness gracious, how hard is this to get? Love others. Love others. So be generous because it helps others, not because you feel like you have to. Do you know why you, you shouldn't? Talk badly about someone. Oh, I got this one. I remember reading something about malicious talk in, in Scripture and something about not gossiping about, about others. No, you don't gossip because it actually hurts someone else. You, got, you don't gossip because it undermines their integrity in front of other people. You don't gossip because you make an attempt. When you do, you make an attempt to elevate yourself over others you're gossiping about. You ever felt that way? When you gossiped about somebody, all of a sudden, you start feeling like you're better than them? Yeah. It hurts others. Even if it wasn't in the Bible, you should know not to gossip. Because you are smart enough to know that when we do, we're hurting other people and destroying confidentiality. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you're lying about others, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you're gossiping about others. And you cannot love your neighbor as yourself if you are not generous towards others. Do you know why you shouldn't uh, pressure your girlfriend or boyfriend sexually? Because girls, y'all can be pretty pushy. <laughs> Just saying. Because, oh yeah. I don't know why. I know what it is. The Bible says something about, like, something that gears towards not having sex before marriage or, or something like that. No, you shouldn't pressure other people to do things that they don't want to do because it causes regret for them. And a Christian should never be one who causes regret for another person. Right? 
Jesus' followers do not create regret for other people. This idea, the idea is that when people have a regret, that you don't get to be in the picture. When people are talking about their regret, when, when man and woman are sitting there coming together and they think, well, maybe I've found my mate for life. And you know if you're married or you've been really close to being married, you've had that uncomfortable conversation where you're talking about your past sexual life. And you don't want to be one who has to be brought up in that conversation because you pressured another human being to have some kind of sexual relationship before it was time and before they were married. You don't want to be on that wall of fame. Jesus' model says, I don't even need a verse in order to love others. I don't need a verse to love others. I don't need to have everything in fine detail and fine print to guide me towards, if I, can I just do this? Can I do that? Can I not do this in order to still love others? The concept of it is just love others. Others And you may think, well, what if it's consensual, though, Pastor? What if it's consensual? And, and I'm going to say to, you, to this, well, let's say you have kids or grandkids, or let's say you have friends, or let's say you have really close ones to you, and they call you, and they're like, hey, hey, so-and-so, hey, friend, or hey, grandma, or hey, grandpa, or whatever, hey, mom, hey, dad, whatever the case is, you know, me and John are over here, and we're just hanging out, and we got some butter knives, and we have nothing else to do. We live in Henderson County where there is absolutely zero to do. It's boring. So we thought we would see if we could just, you know, gouge each other's eyeballs out with a butter knife. Don't worry. It's consensual. We both want to do it. We agree to it. We'll even sign a clause on a piece of paper before you get home. I just want you to know that we are consenting both equally to do this. Does it make it right? Does it make it okay? Does it make it legit? Does it make it, I'm loving others? No. Being consensual doesn't. Because oftentimes, eventually, there will be regret, no matter how consensual it is in the moment. The New Testament imperatives are examples of how to demonstrate your love for God by loving others. Because God probably thought, man... What am I going to have to do to get through them? How are they not getting the picture of me? I've set up all these things, and they want me to be so detail-oriented. Really? Like, why do I have to be so explicit on every little thing to keep them from trying to find a loophole? Some kind of way out to do whatever it is they want to do. Why can't they just focus on this thing called love and just do that. And you may be thinking, well, P.N., I think you're trying to bring us back to the 70s during the hippie days where it's just, you know, the, the Jesus movement. And it's just, it's all about love, brother. You know, just it's all about love, man, love. And, you know, just, no. Love God and love your neighbor has every scripture, every Bible, book of the Bible within it that is embedded and it has nothing to do with even pleasing God. It has nothing to do with your benefit. Yes, I am telling you that every book in the Bible has very little to nothing to do with your benefit, but it has everything to do with the benefit of others working through you. And you really need to get that concept. Because a lot of times we're just studying every book of the Bible for the sake of us. And God is saying, I've given you my word for the sake of others to work through you. And you need to get off of your seat and get up and go start doing something. You're full of knowledge, but you lack the love and the power within. And I've got it inside of you, but you're not giving it away. So I'm, I can't even do anything with that. 
I need you to move. I need you to get going. I need you to do something for the sake of others so that I can flow through you. You've got plenty. Now go pour that thing out. Every book of the Bible operating in you is for the sake of the others and not you. The Jesus model is less complicated but far more demanding. It takes out a lot of the complications of the temple model and every other thought process because you don't have to do all of these things for the sake of making yourself right between you and God and you and others. It's already been done. But the thing that God intended is way less complicated but way more demanding. It's way more demanding. At the epicenter of this faith movement is men who believed that Jesus was the Son of God and they followed Him. At the epicenter of this faith movement is a man who ended up filled and died on the cross, covered in his own blood and the saliva of others whom he loved. It's demanding. It's less complicated. You don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops and loops. But in love, Jesus demands a whole lot through us. He says things like, in your relationships with others, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Well, see, temple model thinking will try to find a loophole in that. Temple model thinking will reroute what Jesus really did and Jesus' mindset really was. But Jesus' movement says, have my mindset and love one another. In the, in the, in, it's hard to find a loophole in be merciful just as, my, as your father is merciful. It's hard to find a loophole. It's hard to find a, an, an escape clause in all of that. It's hard. Following Jesus, there are no places to hide. There are no ways out. There are no loopholes. And almost every, all relational question how it answers this intuitively, the answer is already embedded to us of this one question, rather, that what does love require of me? It's intuitively already embedded inside of us for those who love Jesus and desire to serve Jesus and desire to carry the mindset of Jesus and desire to have be merciful because our Father is merciful. It's the understanding already of what does love require of me? And this is the essence of the Jesus model. And maybe you think, well, this is kind of dumbed down a little bit. This, when, when, but when Jesus' when Jesus's father answered this question, he lost his son. In fact, he gave his son up for us. And then when Jesus answered this question that was very demanding, but it was less complicated... He gave his life up for us. My question is, because it is less complicated and it is way more demanding, what is the result going to look like when you actually start answering this question, what does love require from you in every situation that you want to rise up and lean towards the temple model thinking? What are you going to give up? What are you going to count as lost? What are you going to say it has no value to me anyway? What if? Can you just imagine what it would look like if every situation and every circumstance in our family, every conversation, everything was filtered through this thought, what is love requiring of me? 
it is less complicated but way more demanding. This whole paradigm was shifted into our families, into our relational situations, into our kids, into our marriages, into our, into our external families just outside of that. What would it look? What if this same thought of knowing it's way less complicated than this temple model, but yet it's way more demanding, what is love going to require of me in each and every situation? If we answered that and we responded to that, to every situation in Henderson County, every situation with every race, with every gender, with every people group that looks different than us, if we set aside everything that we were taught growing up, if we set aside everything our grandparents taught us as we were growing up, if we set aside what our little bitty culture taught us when we were going, growing up and we said we remembered, you know what, it's way less complicated, but it's way more demanding. What does love require of me? Would I, would I take the easy road out? Would I try to find a loophole? Would I try to find an escape clause that keeps me from having to answer the truth that causes me to love and to let go and to lose something because it's my Father in Heaven lost something, my, son, my, my, my Lord and Savior lost something, but He gave it up, but He gained everything. What is it going to cost for me to get out of this loophole mentality, move, move from this temple mentality into this Jesus, Jesus movement mentality that causes me to answer the question time after time, what does love require of me right now? Maybe you think I'm bringing this all down to a, a less of God's glory. You know you, you know, you get really holy when you start hearing people shake glory. <laughs> and more about others. Now, you're just making this too human. It's too humanistic, Pastor Nathan. You're, you know, what, what about God? But what about us coming in and, and the glory of his train filling the temple and all that fell out and they couldn't even minister because they have the presence of God? What about, what about you're taking away all of that? Well, Jesus answers that question for us in this whole context of this message series as well. And he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed. You see, the culture of the day knew exactly what he was talking about when he said there would be the goats on the, right, on the left and the sheep on the right. You see, a sheep listens to the sound of the shepherd, the voice. And a goat wants to do whatever it wants to do and yet still eat the grass, still wants to live on the blessings. But when it, it, it won't listen, it, when you try to get close to it, it runs far enough just so you can't get close to it, but it stays close enough just so it can stay protected. But he says, the sheep, the sheep, he says, come you who are blessed by my Father and take your inheritance, the kingdom, the, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You'll be asking, why are we so blessed? Why, why are we so favored? Why does everything tend to fall into place even when all hell feels like it's breaking loose? Why is my family so strong, so healthy? He says, Jesus answers, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. You see, they didn't even know they were doing these things. When did we do all of these things? 
They were doing it because love required it of them in advance because it's less complicated, but it's far more demanding, and this is what love requires. And says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty, thirsty and give you something to drink? This was just natural. This was just Christianity. This is just what he means. This is just what it means to live. This is just what we do. When did you see a stranger? When did we see, a stra- see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When, did you? when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So when we're going and doing, and serving, and loving, and giving, and not gossiping, and and not lying, and not trying to elevate ourselves above above others, but we're actually bringing ourselves low for the sake of others, and we're, we're doing from a heart of love, guess who we're really doing that to? We're doing that to Jesus, because the Jesus models model centers on the you beside you. And your devotion to God is illustrated, is dem- demonstrated, is authenticated by your love for others. And with only fragments and little structure, the first church was flourishing. They knew how to love God and they knew how to care for others. The hallmark of the Christian faith is love for one another. And Jesus says, if you forget it all, get this one thing right. If you forget everything that I taught, let it just be summed down into this one thing. A love for God and a love for one another. No clauses. No loopholes. No escape routes. Just love for one another. And what if... Just what if the world was more critical about what we believed and they were more envious about how we treated one another and others? I just want to pray for you. If you will, just get to that place where you know you're hearing the Lord. Just ask this one question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? somewhere over time in our western culture our western society we've taken on this temple model mentality and we've been so focused on making things right between us and God trying to gain favor get our prayers answered earn gifts And we've forgotten how God has called us to love our brothers and our sisters, to be generous towards them, to be kind and caring, to be edifying and uplifting, to be forgiving, 
we've forgotten how uncomplicated it really is, but yet how demanding it is for us to live forth from love and give everything that's inside of us. So, Father, we just ask for help. We just ask for help to let go of this temple model thinking so we can move in to a deeper intimacy and relationship, not only with you, but with others. In an all-out pursuit of heaven coming to earth because of how we influence the world through this new ethic, this new command, this movement that you sent and meant to revolutionize the world. Father, in every way that we look like temple, we ask that you break the bondages within, within our minds, within our souls. And as culture wants to try to form us back to the temple model thinking and the, and the divisions that is in this world and every distraction that tries to say, but yeah, but what about this? And what about this? And what about that? that we just bring it all under the question of what does love require of me? And if you're making that commitment to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, after worship, there will be people up here to pray with you. If you're struggling with this whole idea of temple model and relationship and what Jesus meant, there are people who will be up here to pray with you and walk you through and love you through every situation because it's exactly that that our, the church, our church, has been purposed to do is to accept people where they are, to love people where they are, and help them become all God created them to be. And when we live in shock and awe and, oh my gosh, and I can't believe that, we revert back to temple model thinking and we wonder, is God going to be okay with you? And is God going to be okay with me? And is God still going to love? And is God still going to be there? And in all of this, we forget the main attribute, point, characteristic of Jesus Christ and that is love itself. So Father, change our hearts change our minds, change our souls, and help us to endure to the end to love one another and really mobilize the movement that you created and intended through your Son. Thank you that when you answered the question that was uncomplicated yet so demanding, you gave your Son up for us. Thank you, Jesus, that when you answered this same question, what does love require for me, you ended up poured out in blood for the sake of everyone here and for the sake of this whole world so that one day they may be coming through a place like this, united to a body just like this, so that they can become all you created them to be and they in turn can go and love the world and bring them into relationship with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. If you will stand with me, we're going to worship one more time before we get out of here.